Good morning, everyone. Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, thanks for joining us. Happy Friday. Uh, the webcast is something that we do just to cover all things astronomy, from what's up into the nighttime sky, to equipment, to helpful tips and tricks for observing and imaging. And then, of course, at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. So, Thanks for hanging out and spending your Friday morning with us. Uh, these are generally live episodes, and if you missed it or you want to go back and check something out later, um, these are uh, also recorded on our YouTube channel afterwards. So if there's an episode you want to go back and check on, they are all here. Um, I think this is episode... Which one are we on? Episode 73 today. So... Uh, we've been doing this for almost two years now, uh, so thanks for everybody who's been watching and supporting it. Uh, if you are liking, if you do, I'm sorry, if you do like what you see here, please go ahead and subscribe to our channel. We really appreciate it. Um, it does help a lot and helps keep us, keeps doing this for us. Um, if you have any questions on the What's Up webcast or have a topic you want us to take a look at, go ahead and do info at skywatcherusa.com title it what's up webcast and that way we can get to it and answer any of those questions for you please leave a like and subscribe to the uh like for a video and then subscribe to the channel we really appreciate it helps us uh keep this going for us um so we can keep sharing content with you guys so uh thanks very much if you want to know how to do it you can go up to our website at skywatcherusa.com and uh pop up there if you want to keep in keep up with what the topic of the month, uh, week is going to be. Uh, we do an email blast every week around Wednesday, I believe is when that goes out, telling you what the topic is for the month. You can go ahead to our website, hit subscribe to our newsletter. It's also going to uh, keep you up to date with any specials coming out as well. So that's how you do that. Um, so yeah. So it is October 1st as of today. I have no idea where the year went. I've remember trying to plan the first half of the year for the webcast and it's like oh my gosh what are we gonna do now we're practically through 2021 it's been crazy so uh the beginning of each month if you've never joined us before we take a look at what's up in the nighttime sky and uh hopefully you can get out there and check out some of these cool things so we're gonna dive right into it if you have any questions we do have the chat open i'll be happy to answer any of those for you but uh, without further ado, we're just going to get started. Uh, we've got our new layout um, for the webcast going right now. Uh, so, yeah, I hope you guys like it. We're trying to make sure this is even cleaner. See, our transitions are clean, too. I can pop myself right up in the corner, and we're good to go. I am going to get our website out of the way, and we're going to get going. So biggest thing in the nighttime sky I think we all know that is the moon and we need to kind of plan our our month around that so we can get to our observing uh, let me switch stuff there we go we can plan our observing around uh, the moon up there so uh, new moon for the month of October is October 6th and that's next week my goodness uh, so the way this works is because the moon lands in the middle of the week or the new moon lands in the middle of the week, we technically have two weekends that we can get out and do observing on. And the first one would be this weekend, the uh, third and fourth. Why do I have the third and fourth? I'm sorry, I offset the date there. It should have been the second and the third. My bad on that. So... Uh, there's this weekend would be a good chance to get out. And then of course, next weekend, that one is correct. The ninth and the 10th. I knew that one was good to go. Um, so yeah, you're going out this weekend or you're going out next weekend. Uh, both good times. We are going to have a little bit of a crescent moon next weekend on the ninth and 10th, but that's going to go away by the time it actually gets dark. So, um, yeah. If you want to get out this this weekend or next weekend would be the time to do that. So hopefully you guys um, have some. I know we have some friends of ours that are heading out to dark skies this weekend to take some cool images, um, or just get out and observe. Now is the time to do it while the it's still a little warm out. 
before we start slipping into the winter or deeper into the fall or autumn months because it is autumn officially as uh like a week ago so whatever uh full moon is on october 20th so we won't get a moon to show for trick-or-treaters this year it's going to be later in the evening so unfortunately but we do have some cool planets up that we're going to talk about uh here shortly but we won't have a bright moon to show trick-or-treaters this year if you're one of those like myself who likes to set up outside and share people or share the night sky with people um for the holiday at least here in the u.s north america i guess uh full moon like i said is october 20th uh, this is the hunter's moon. Uh, a lot of people think it's the harvest moon. It kind of depends on how the season works, but it is the harvest moon uh, for September usually. And then the hunter's moon is usually October, but it just depends on how all that works out. So this moon provides illumination to hunters to go out and catch things and hunt things down before the winter months really start. So that's where it gets its name from. Um, you can always go to Farmer's Almanac. That's where I get all the information and folklore about the full moon. So it's kind of a cool thing to see. It's also good uh, tips and little tricks uh, to tell people. Uh, good information, fact information that you can provide during an outreach event on why the full moons get their name and all this other fun stuff. So uh, Farmer's Almanac, that's where you get all this information uh, for the full moon. So hopefully that works out for you guys. Uh, but yes, October 20th, uh, which is a Wednesday, is the full moon for the month of October. Planets. Now, we have a bunch of planets up right now. It's a very good time if you're actually into observing the planets. The first one, of course, is Venus. Uh, Venus is in the early evening, just as the sun goes down. It's nice and high there in the west in the twilight sky. You can easily see it naked eye. Um, it's a great object to try and uh, view when you're just getting started or if you've got a small telescope it's a fun t uh, object to check out right now it's at a gibbous phase um, the image that you see on the screen there is a crescent uh, then we get into the quarters and then the gibbous uh, phase right now so it's actually moving towards the crescent right now but right now we're still in gibbous phase but by the end of the month we should be right around the quarter phase uh, coming up so uh, i'm gonna pop up sorry i'm gonna figure out how to get rid of my taskbar down there it's supposed to disappear this is a brand new machine we got specifically for the webcast that's crazy fast so we won't have any more hiccups so hopefully everything sounds really good and is smooth today because we're running on a very very fast uh gaming machine now so um so this is the nighttime sky actually let me just go to full screen real quick boop uh so this is the nighttime sky right now at least in north america from roughly where i'm at you can this is stellarium it's a free uh software that you can get online i've just downloaded it this morning onto this new machine um but it's just a free software it's a planetarium software you can do telescope control with it with the right drivers um you'll have to mess around with that though but it's a great software to kind of look around and see what's up um especially you know on your computer i think they make an app for it app version now but um i like it it's an easy one and it's got decent graphics for um a free app so this is right about seven o'clock tonight uh venus is going to be nice and visible it's out there in the west southwest but as the uh month progresses it's going to keep moving over to the southwest into the core of the milky way by the middle of halloween or by halloween um and at that point let me see if i can zoom in here real quick boop, 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 boop. it's gonna start getting into that uh let me just pause this try to pause it i don't know where all my stuff went uh there we go hiding in my taskbar that's supposed to be gone um by the end of the month we're gonna be we will have venus in the first in a in a quarter phase um so the phase will be shifting here soon so uh we keep an eye on it go out observe venus you can see the phases with that uh with a small telescope so it's kind of a cool thing to see it's easy to see 
if you want to get rid of the glare maybe it's too bright i would recommend using like a moon filter or a polarizing filter to help dim down um the the brightness of the planet a polarizing or a moon filter will definitely help to help you see the phases of the moon better so that would be my recommendation uh for you there moving on next one in line well it's not actually the next one in the line of planets across the sky but it is the going out from earth uh would be jupiter jupiter is practically in the opposite side of the sky uh, at the same time as venus so this is naked eye visible right after sunset it's high in the eastern sky and it's visible throughout up until about midnight is when it starts to set and uh, again it's a very easy one to see let me pop this back up doot, doot, doot. Uh, let me actually go to the beginning of the month and so we're looking south right now this is about seven o'clock this evening so we got venus over there you've got jupiter over here really high in the southeastern sky um, it is the brightest thing in the southeast sky right now so you should be able to find it uh, now jupiter is a fun one and tonight tonight actually at least from my vantage point this is 7 p.m pacific time uh looks like we actually have quite a show all the moons are going to be lined up i'm going to actually take this to full screen so you guys can see all the moons are going to be lined up and right dead center is the red spot so tonight at what would be 7 p.m pacific time uh adjust accordingly to your location but it looks like we've got a perfect lineup right in a row. We've got Europa, Io, Red Spot on Jupiter, Ganymede, and Callisto all together. So if you want to get out and take a look at Jupiter tonight, 7 p.m. Pacific time, you'd be able to get all this stuff there. So quite a, it's a Kodak moment. Uh, but Jupiter is a really fun planet to take a look at because it's got the moons there. They change so quickly. Jupiter rotates about every 10 hours. So it's flinging those moons all over the place. So a fun thing to do with your kids or whatever, whoever you want to do, or even yourself, is go out and actually jot down the positions of the moon night after night. That's the same thing Galileo did. It's just kind of a fun observing project that you or your family or you guys can all do together. Um, but it is a very cool um, thing to take a look at. And then, of course, the red spot, that's always a fun thing to see. If you want to observe the red spot, um i like using filters with that you're probably going to want at least 100 power for planetary probably closer to 150 or more uh do remember that when you are observing planets and you are adding higher magnifications to your telescope the seeing conditions or the local conditions and not talking about the darkness i'm talking about the stability of the sky um they need to be good in order to support the really high magnifications that you might be using. So probably minimum for observing planets would be about 100x. If you could get up to 150, that's better. And then when you start pushing to 200 and 300 power, things get really impressive. But everything has to be... Um, everything is controlled by the seeing conditions. So let your telescope cool off. Give it about 30 minutes. Go get some dinner. Set it up. Let the optics cool off, reach the ambient temperature, um, and then try it. If the magnification is too high, back it off. You know, give it a go. Experiment with it. See what you can get out of it. But if you're trying to observe the planets, especially Jupiter and Saturn, and you're trying to get detail out of it, you're probably going to be looking somewhere between 150 and 300 power to get some really cool stuff out of it. Uh, but you're just going to have to mess around with your telescope and do remember that just because you might have a night that your telescope isn't producing nice images, that doesn't always mean it's just the telescope. Uh, but it's you need to let it acclimate and you need to make sure the conditions are going to be good for the night in order for you to get the best out of the seeing conditions for or the best views out of your telescope. Everything is dictated by the seeing conditions. We have a whole episode covering that uh so if you want to go back and take a look at that we have that episode uh saved away that you can go take a look at it uh next planet my personal favorite a lot of people's personal favorites and the reason probably why a chunk of us are actually in this hobby is saturn 
Saturn is sitting just in front of Jupiter. Um, it's visible right after the sun goes down, just ahead of it. And that's how they're going to be pretty much this whole planet season will be Jupiter and Saturn kind of paired together as they cross the, the southern portion of the sky out there. Saturn's going to set right around midnight right now. So if you're into planetary imaging and you want to get some good stuff, basically right as the sun goes down, the planets are in a very good position to start hitting that and taking some good images. Again, depends on the seeing conditions and uh, giving your telescope time to acclimate to the outside air is going to be very important. But uh, Saturn, boop, 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 back this off right there, just in front of Jupiter. And like I said, it's going to be visible till about midnight tonight. Obviously, that's going to get earlier and earlier as the next month or few weeks uh, spans. So we're going to have plenty of time to see uh, Saturn. But if you're into planetary imaging, it's really well placed right after sunset. Um, so go out, check it out. It's uh, definitely an awesome planet to show uh, friends and family. Again, same thing, same rules apply. 100 power minimum if you could get to 150 better um but somewhere between 150 and 300 power is probably where a lot of really cool planetary observing starts but again it's all going to come down to is your telescope acclimated and is the seeing conditions going to allow you to push that kind of magnification and if the seeing is really good Push it further. See what happens. I have a lot of people that I've talked to. They're like, oh, yeah, don't do it. It's, it's not going to look good. And presently surprised it might actually look good. Don't be afraid to experiment with filters. Try high magnifications. Just try it. If it doesn't work, take it out. Try something else. No big deal. Uh, so that is pretty much the visible planets. Pluto is floating out there as well. Right around Sagittarius, I think, is where Pluto's at right now. Uh, that's kind of a fun one if you're doing astrophotography. You can take a picture one night and then take a picture like three nights later and do a blink comparison to actually find it. But that's that's something you can do too. Uh, but obviously you're going to need you know a big telescope to catch Pluto. It's going to look like a tiny star. So it's there's not a lot to obviously see there. But the highlight planets, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter, they're all there. Great plants to go out and observe. So that is that. It actually wraps up the planets, too. Now, the sun. Um, I don't change these slides because I don't have to. And basically, it's all the same. Uh, activity on the sun is increasing. It's actually getting a lot better recently. So I bring this up each month. And let me see if I can find it. Which one did I do this under? That's not it. Here we go. So I like to use this website to actually see what's going up on the sun because that's the best way to do it. And so basically what we're looking at here is almost live. I'm going to actually switch this to full screen so you guys can see it better, but almost live uh, views of the sun right now in hydrogen alpha. So what you can see, I'm going to pop up Hawaii's uh, solar telescope from Mauna Loa. It's not going to let me. Interesting. Only some of them can be blown up. That's weird. All right. Well, there's the Big Bear Solar Observatory from California. Uh, you can see there's a really big, nice prominence up there right now. So if you have an H-Alpha solar telescope, I might have to go throw one out and look at that. Um, there's a nice prominence there. There's some active regions and sunspots that are on the edge there. So that's a kind of a good spot to actually start uh, catching up. There's another active region with some sunspots and some other cool uh, prominences with a little bit of a filament. Uh, my buddy Brian, who works at Lunt Solar Systems, like to call that bacon, where the filament wraps over the edge into a prominence, calls it bacon. Um, but there is some good stuff up there. So really highly recommend getting out there and start uh, observing uh, the sun there and see what's going on um, up there so but it's it is active it is getting better so definitely if you want to take a look at it just type in gong g-o-n-g -G, h alpha into google it'll take you to this site and the nice thing about that is it gives you all the current stuff that's going on uh, mauna loa has got a really nice image of it from hawaii 
but yeah, so that's where I go if I want to take a look at what's going up on the sun. So hopefully that uh, works out for you guys as well. So uh, there you go. That's how I actually observe the sun. It is a great object to observe because it changes so often. You've, you can image it. You can observe it. You can sketch it. Uh, whatever you want to do, the sun is a really dynamic object, so I highly recommend you know taking a look at it. It is a fun one, especially if you have a hydrogen alpha telescope, like something like a, a Lunt or a Coronado or the Daystars. All of those are great uh, options to get out and start observing the sun and hydrogen alpha, so something to check out. Oh, and I missed that bullet point right there, but... Uh, meteor showers. Uh, last month we had nothing. September has no major meteor showers, but October makes up for that because it's got two. Um, so the first meteor shower is the Draconids. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that, but Draconids. Uh, October 8th, so next week, right during New Moon, uh, or just about two days after New Moon. Uh, these ones are really unique because they're really radiant in the early uh, evening hours most meteor showers are after midnight uh, as best as when they work out but this one just so happens that it works out better before midnight so go out check it out uh, especially if you're going to be able to get out to some dark skies the next week or so you might have a better chance of catching them i didn't find what the uh per hour uh ratio was on this um i'll have to look that up next time but it's definitely a good one, uh, something to take a look at. And because there's no moon in the sky, you're going to have a chance of catching more of them because of the timing and how well-placed all of that is. So that's the Draconids. Major peak is October 8th, which is next Friday. So if you're going out to a dark sky site next weekend, drive out Friday, set up. You should have a nice uh, view of the Draconid meteor showers from a dark sky site um, next weekend. So awesome. Good for you. Next one is the Orionids. Uh, the Orionids is October 21st, which is the day after full moon. These are not as well placed this year because of how the moon and everything works out. So um, the Orionids are about 10 to 20 per hour. These are fast moving meteors and they generally like to leave trails or streaks across the sky when they come in. Um, not sure why that is. I'd have to do some more research on it, but uh, that's the Orionids. Some of the bright stuff, uh, ones you might be able to see from town and with the full moon up, but we're going to have a very, very bright moon during the Orionids this year, so it's not as well placed. But the Draconids starting, probably starting this week, uh, weekend, but peaking on October 8th would be very, very nice to get out and check out. So there you go. Those are the two meteor showers for the month there. Uh, we kind of lucked out because we have two big named uh, meteor showers uh, happening this month. Now, another one that people ask about all the time is comets. I don't put a slide in for comets because it's not worth doing a slide um, because they change too much. So another website I like to use is Comet Chasing. Um, it's cometchasing.skyhound.com. And let me go to full screen for you guys there. This lists all the major comets that are coming up or might be interesting to anybody. Uh, so you can go over. It's a great website. It's got all kinds of notes and stuff on it. And then you can come down here and it tells you all about the real specifications of the comets that are visible. Uh, looks like the biggest one for the Northern Hemisphere is the C2019 L3 Atlas. It's right now it's at 10th magnitude. So that's kind of like a dark sky, probably, you know, six inch telescope target. Um, looks like it's nice and high right now. So if we go to the finder chart, we can pull that up right there. Uh, they give you this really nice PDF finder chart for these. So that's why I like them. So it looks like, yeah, it's, it's right up. There's Gemini down here. Uh, so it's in a well-placed later in the evening uh, object. So it might be fun one to get out and try to observe, see what you can see on it, or try to throw a camera on it and check it out. And over the next, uh, let's see, this takes us all the way through. This chart's outdated, so they need to update this one, actually. Uh, it's 
pretty much wrapped up for the month of September. So they're going to have to do an updated PDF for October. Um, but that is still visible. That one right there is looking like, yeah, you need about six inch telescope. It doesn't look like we have any bright stuff right now. Uh, if, you, if it's bright enough, you would definitely hear about it because everybody loves to watch comets. Um, but it's got some cool notes. There's a new discovery, C2021-01. C um, so this is uh, one that's kind of come up. Uh, but there's all kinds of notes on all the visible comets right now. So it's a very cool website if you're into comets. There you go. It does cover both northern and southern hemisphere. Um, so definitely take a look at it. See what you can see out of it and give it a go. But yeah, that is cometchasing.skyhound.com right up there at the top if you want to look that up. That's the website I like to use for um observing comets gives you all the information that you'd ever want to know about it so there you go that's it for comets now deep sky my favorite topic personally because there's all kinds of cool stuff to check out um pretty much to start it out it's october october i think is kind of the last stitch effort if you want to get out and do some milky way work uh, let me pull up stellarium real quick um here's the milky way right here should have made it brighter but you, you guys can see it um so right now right as it gets dark the milky way is practically straight up uh popping out of the south southwest and goes directly overhead um but by the end of the month as we start to move forward the moon's going to become a factor but by the time we get to november you're still going to have a really nice section of the milky way uh, the core is starting to go down uh, completely. Uh, so October, moving into November, we're going to start getting to the end of the summer Milky Way season. Then we'll have a transition through autumn, and then we get the Milky Way. Everyone says, oh, the Milky Way season, it's the summertime. No, it's not. That's the summer Milky Way. There's the, the winter Milky Way is just as beautiful, but it's not as big and bright but it has a lot more complex things visible. Lots of hydrogen star forming regions are visible up in the winter time. Um, but it's not as blazingly bright as the summer Milky Way is. You need to be in dark skies and you probably need to have some kind of tracker because it's a lot fainter, but there's a lot of very odd complex uh, nebulas and structures that are up in the winter time uh, Milky Way. So, I understand summer Milky Way is big and easy and bright. Your phone can do it at this point. Um, but don't knock the winter Milky Way. There's a lot of neat things in there. But if you want to get out and you want to do some Milky Way stuff, uh, this is we're kind of nearing the end of the season for the summer Milky Way. So now is the time to get out and check it out. Now, objects. First object, or objects in this case, is NGC 869 and 884, the double cluster. Uh, it's up in Perseus, 7,500 light years away. It's a very easy target to observe in almost any size optic. You can see it in binoculars. You can see it in small finder scopes. Um, any size telescope, norm, you know, even from the average backyard, you should be able to see the double cluster. Uh, it's a fun one to show. I've done it for outreach events for years. It's just easy to see. Um, very complex uh, collection of two open star clusters up there in Perseus. Um, it's just an easy one to show. It's a lot of stars. It's very impressive in a dark sky site, especially if you have a wide field telescope. It's just the expanse of stars in the field is amazing. Uh, for imaging, it's a star cluster. You don't need anything fancy for it. You can use one-shot color. It's easy to shoot in town. It's not really affected all that much by light pollution. I mean, it is, but there's nothing you can really do about it. There's no faint nebulosity or anything you have to tease out of this it's just you shoot it and there you go that's what you get so you can get some really nice pictures of the double cluster um, i'm gonna have to try it actually it's been a while this is an old picture of the double cluster it's all i had but it's an easy object to shoot in town uh, dark skies obviously but it's just an all-around cool cluster to show people or observe or image or whatever you want to do Great object to come uh, check out. And let me pop Stellarium up here real quick. And 
pop this back up. If you're wondering where the double cluster is, it's right over here in Perseus. So you're going to find Cassiopeia. That's uh, rising over there in the northeast. Double cluster. Well, that's a star in the double cluster. That's close. So whatever. There we go. Double cluster. So there's Cassiopeia. This is, you know, 8 o'clock at night. It should be high enough to start seeing it's rising over there. Um, just below Cassiopeia, halfway between Cassiopeia, it's technically in Perseus, but the major constellation, it's about halfway between the two uh, right there. It is naked eye visible in a dark sky. It looks like a little fuzzy out there, but you can see it. It doesn't have to be tremendously dark, just a little bit dark, and you can actually start to see the glow naked eye. It's only 7,500 light years away, so it's not you know too crazy but yep um very cool cluster to check out so that's a good one to start the list off it's good in any size telescope there you go m33 the triangulum galaxy it's 3.2 million light years away uh it's it's right next door to m31 uh the andromeda galaxy or m31 which we'll get to here in a second uh, is probably the most photographed galaxy in the northern hemisphere, if not the sky, because it's the closest and the brightest galaxy we can see at two and a half million light years. But right next door is M33. And M33 is not as vibrant uh, or easy to see as its neighbor is, but it is still very large. It's a little bit more diffuse um, than M31 is. So it's a little harder to see. You can see it in town, but it's going to look like a smudge. Uh, when you get out to darker skies, it's much more spectacular because the detail in the arms is not as structured as M31 is. So it's harder to get the detail in this one because of just how it kind of diffuses out from the core. Uh, it's excellent in dark skies. You can see it in a pair of binoculars in dark skies. Uh, four inch telescope or bigger the bigger the telescope the more aperture the more light you're going to get easier to resolve uh, more detail uh for imaging it works on a wide variety of focal lengths it's primarily a visual or you know color you know object but adding some h alpha data in there can really help pop out these star forming regions um let me just go to the full uh thing here and we'll transition there so this is the full uh shot we shot this last month finished this one up uh this is m33 this was actually taken with an esprit 150 and a zwo 6200 so at a thousand millimeters with a full frame tel uh camera it frames it up really well um now if you have a crop sensor something smaller um i would probably try something between 500 and 800 millimeter focal length would probably help frame this up as well if you don't have the full frame sensor and it would still uh, give you a real nice uh, shot there uh, but it's an excellent object to shoot right now it's in a good position because you can actually image it you know so this is eight o'clock there's andromeda m33 is right here come on computer Oh, Stellarium doesn't want to listen to me. Anyway, right where those crosshairs are, that's where M33 is. Um, at 8 o'clock, I would probably say 9 o'clock. <coughs> Excuse me. Probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock, right after astronomical uh, twilight, when it's officially dark, you can start imaging M31. And you can pretty much go all night. And it's going to go way overhead for us here in the northern hemisphere. So you, it crosses a very nice part of the sky where you're not down in the muck and the seeing conditions are really affecting it because it sits so high in the sky. Um, so M33 has a really long shelf life for uh, imaging or observing it uh, this time of year. And what's really cool about M33 besides, you know, how it's diffuse, it's got all these cool dust lanes, but it's got some really hefty star forming regions in there. So if you are, have the ability of shooting hydrogen alpha, uh, here's M33 uh, H-alpha data. Um, you can take this H-alpha data and apply that onto your color image, and it will help pop out those uh, pinkish star-forming nebula regions that are scattered throughout the uh, galaxy there. Um, 
you don't need to do that but if you have the capability to do that it does make a difference there so um definitely recommend shooting some hydrogen alpha data um an m33 that's really the only narrow band capability you're going to get out of m33 however so don't don't waste your time with like sulfur or o3 because you're probably not going to get much of anything out of it uh, you could try it if you want but it's really more of a visible you know lrgb or one shot color and then add a little hydrogen in there to pop out the star forming regions in the nebula there so hopefully that helps Another big one, IC1805, uh, the Heart Nebula. Uh, this is the stuff I'm talking about when everyone kind of puts down the winter uh, Milky Way. They're like, oh, Milky Way season's over. Stuff like the Heart and the Soul Nebula, which I should have done, but it's right next door to the Heart. Um, stuff like this, big nebula regions uh, kind of cluster through the uh, winter Milky Way. So this is near uh, Cassiopeia. Uh, 6200 light years away it's very faint um, you can probably see some of the brighter structures like this part down here and the center part of the heart from darker skies i would probably recommend something like a uhc or o3 filter to help you to see more detail in there um, i have to try this it's been a while since i've actually tried the heart nebula but i'd probably say at least a four inch like a nice wide four inch refractor you could probably get some nice detail out of it especially with something like a uhc um, larger apertures they're going to be able to pull more detail out of it but you're not going to be able to get the whole thing because it's a very large object uh, so you're going to need some wide field object or uh, optics to catch all of it or take it piece at a time uh, for imaging like i said very wide field target uh, it's a couple degrees i think across uh, this was taken with a canon 200 millimeter uh, f 2.8 prime lens uh, with a Starlight 694, so pretty small sensor by today's standards, uh, in hydrogen alpha from the backyard. Uh, it is an emission nebula, so it does emit its own light, with, and it makes it easy for narrowband filters to catch it. So if you don't have the option to get out to dark skies very often, but you have a narrowband filter set, this is an easy one to do from the backyard with those filters. Um, of course, you can also do color and visual light with it it's red it's a hydrogen it's an h2 region so it's it's going to be pink red color so but that is the heart nebula and do check out the soul nebula right next to it if you have a wide enough field of view you can actually get both of them in there it's kind of a cool um, object to see um, there's the the full frame heart my focus was a little bit off on that one but you get the you get the gist of it andromeda Probably the biggest target in the autumn season is Andromeda, at least until we get Orion uh, coming up in the next uh, few weeks uh, when that nebula really starts to become more visible in the evening skies. Andromeda is the easiest galaxy to see. It's the furthest thing you can actually see with your naked eye, by the way. Two and a half million light years away. Literally anything is good to observe Andromeda with. Um, it all depends on where you're at, but you can see Andromeda from an average backyard with a pair of binoculars. It's going to look like a smudge um, to big telescopes. Uh, big telescopes are going to help pull out the dark dust lanes there a little bit better, but it's easy to see um, from your backyard. It's just it's not going to be super exciting from the average uh, observing location, probably your backyard, anything with light pollution. But if you get to a dark sky site, you will notice uh, the expanse of the uh, arms. is It's a pretty big object, actually. Uh, I actually find the best way to observe it is with a good, decent-sized pair of binoculars. And it, you really get the emphasis on just how large the Andromeda galaxy is with a pair of binoculars from dark skies because it takes up a big chunk of the sky um, at that point. Uh, it is a, a fun one to use on almost any size aperture optic. You know, like I said, binoculars are a really nice view. Or you can take a bigger telescope and you can kind of zoom in uh, checking out different details. Andromeda has a ton of globular clusters that you can also observe. I'll have to throw that into next month, uh, like a challenge object. Uh, next month, maybe do something like that. 
and show all that. Uh, for imaging, again, it's a you could shoot it with anything you want. You know, something really wide, like a 135, looks really neat um, to about 1,000 millimeter. Or you can go even bigger and zoom in on certain regions of Andromeda. Again, Andromeda is very much like M33, where a little bit of H-alpha data will help pop it out a little bit in the star-forming regions. Uh, but it's it's a great galaxy to work on. And if this is like your first year in astronomy and you haven't done the full first 12 months, uh, this is a great object to get out and start observing. And it's something you can do from your average backyard. So that is um, Andromeda. Basically, let me just go full frame here. But basically, easy to do. This image right here was taken from a dark sky site. This is with the Esprit 150 and a 16, I'm sorry, 6200 camera. That was like a couple hours of data, like two, I think, something like that. Really doesn't do much. Um, great object to shoot with like a 7200 on a star tracker. It's a, it's a very cool uh, object to go out. It's easy to do. Now, a little bit off the deep end, a little bit more exotic. This is Vandenberg 1. Ah, dang it. It's not the Seahorse Nebula. I'm sorry. Um, this is in Cassiopeia, about 1,600 light years away. The bright star you see there, I believe, is the bright star Calf in Cassiopeia. Um, this is a very faint uh, nebula. It's a dark slash reflection nebula. Uh, so narrowband filters really have no effect here. This is straight up dark sky target. And you want to make sure you got a telescope that's well baffled as well because the bright star calf, which you see dead center there, that is a naked eye star. Um, even from light polluted skies, that is a naked eye star. So it is very, very bright. So make sure you've got some good filters in there. Because you are going to get major glare and halos off of that if you don't have a good set of filters or your system's not ready to handle that. Um, visually, this is probably a big challenge target. Um, but go out and try it. And uh, no narrow band. You, you just got to go. Um, let, let me go full frame again. This up here is uh, Vandenberg 1. There's a reflection nebula. It's got some dark stuff going on there. Uh, longer focal length might help kind of isolate it a little bit more. There's some really nice pictures in there and you get calf out of the field of view. Um, I don't have that kind of setup available at the moment. So it's the whole field there, but it's very, very dense star cluster, lots of nebulosity. You can see this big cloud, uh, this molecular cloud kind of goes all over the place here until we get to the dark part of space back there. So this whole area is basically nebulosity as well, but Give that a go. Try it in a dark sky site. See what you can get out of it. It's a good challenge target because it's next to a bright star. But that is Vandenberg 1. NGC 1499, the California Nebula, uh, Perseus, a uh, thousand light years away. This is a big object. Uh, uh, two, maybe, th I don't know if it's three degrees wide, but it's several degrees um, you need something like a fast four inch refractor. I think one of the best views I've ever seen was a Teleview NP 101, uh, with like a 30 millimeter or something in it. Uh, it is faint. This is one of those objects that you hear about on why should I get an H beta filter? Because this is one of the objects that really shine with an H beta filter. UHC filters will work as well if you don't have an H beta but you're gonna need dark skies to catch this thing. It's it's just, it's big, um, it is faint, and you just need dark skies to do it. Uh, the filters do help though, UHC or H-beta. H-beta I think does a better job, um, but take your time on it. Imaging, however, it works good in visual or narrow band. You can shoot it from home in the city. Uh, it's a very good object to shoot uh, what would that be? Hubble pallets on. It's got a lot going on for all the different signals in there. Uh, HA03S2. It's got a lot going on in there. Uh, this is a 200 millimeter lens. Uh, I don't remember the camera that shot this. I think it was a 16200 from Starlight Express. That's got some really nice wisps going off of it, but it's a very cool region to shoot um, up there in Perseus. It's not far from the Pleiades. 
and we're getting to that next month and of course make sure you've got wide field optics to catch the whole thing because it it's several degrees um, across to catch it so lots of wide field stuff be a good star tracker target um, as well but that's the california nebula in perseus uh, there's the full frame there for you guys to see you can see all this little wispy stuff coming off of it um, kind of cool detail in there but i'll have to retry it's been a while since i've shot this let's go back to something easier m15 uh in the constellation of pegasus uh, 33,000 light years away. It's a great globular cluster. It's an awesome outreach object. It's easy to see from a backyard, you know, four inch telescope. You can see the little puff of stars up there. Bigger telescopes are going to help resolve the detail a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's a good one. You can image it from town. Again, the star clusters are super forgiving when you image it in town. Uh, we shot this last month again, uh, with the Esprit 150. Um, what we did find, which I've never seen before, is this nebulosity down here. This is basically just flux nebula in the region. Um, this is exceedingly faint right here, uh, this nebulosity that sits near uh, M15. Like I said, I've never seen it before. This is the advantage of A, dark skies, and B, modern technology. These new cameras are crazy sensitive. Uh, I'm talking about like the the IMX 455 sensor that's in the ZWO 6200 and I think it's the QHY 600 um, and then there's the 2600 uh, ZWO 2600 I don't it's like five five hundred and five seventy one or something I think is the name of the sensor but these modern day cameras that are super sensitive high QE cameras in dark skies you will be amazed what kind of stuff you're going to start pulling out, especially if you're shooting monochrome with really good luminance data. This actually didn't have any luminance. This was one shot color that shot this one. Uh, this was a color 6200 camera on another Esprit 150. Um, but these modern cameras, it's crazy the stuff that we're able to pull out now. Um, so yeah, check it out. Look for some weird stuff in your images. So uh, that's M15. It's a great object to do from home visually. It's a great object to image. And then, yeah, look for this uh, dust nebula that's floating out there. Kind of neat. Uh, here's another one. Vandenberg uh, 141. The Ghost Nebula. Uh, this is in Cepheus. This is another one of those real dusty nebulas. I, You've probably figured out I like shooting these weird things. Um, about 1470 light years away this is very difficult visually uh, it's actually really small so you're probably going to want like a decent sized Dobsonian from dark skies I'd probably say 14 inch or bigger to really go after it but it's fairly small uh, dark skies there are no filters that can help you out with uh, nebulas like this you're just on your own imaging it's exactly the same way uh, these uh, molecular clouds that really kind of cloud over Cepheus and Perseus and all that, you know, region of the outer Milky Way arms. All of this is only dark skies. There is no narrow band filter option. It is just straight up exposure time and dark skies. So good challenge target. That's the ghost nebula. It's really cool. It's got a, lots of nebulosity in the region, but we're actually talking about this section right here. That is the ghost nebula, but go after that. Try it out. It's, it is faint, uh, but it's a fun one to try. Uh, there's the full frame uh, shot there, but you can see all that molecular dust up there. And then you have the ghost right in the center there. So galaxies, uh, this was just a quick data set that I had for luminance. I didn't have a color set. Uh, finished for it yet the sculptor galaxy ndc 253 this is big this is a big galaxy uh, it's 12 million light years away the first time i really saw this thing from a dark sky it was in a 25 inch obsession and we were looking for it the owner was showing this was years ago um it is staggeringly good size uh for a galaxy it and it's out in the southwest uh sky it's probably visible in a four inch telescope from dark skies. But um, yeah, if you've got something around a thousand millimeter, 2000 millimeter, you'll be amazed at how 
big the galaxy actually is and there's some cool detail in the core there so definitely try that out uh, for imaging again it's just going to be color galaxies are kind of tough uh, but and this one particularly because it does sit low in the south southwest um, so the the further south you are the higher this galaxy will be for you the further north you are so if you're in the northern u.s and canada this object is going to be fairly low uh, for you to get but check it out see if you can get it um, but yeah that is the sculptor galaxy ngc 253 12 million light years away very nice galaxy to go after uh, got some good detail but pretty easy to process and work with so uh, if you're trying to image it um, again this is a thousand millimeter full frame system you know you got like a small a smaller crop sensor probably say somewhere between 600 and 800 or 900 millimeter focal even a thousand would on a crop sensor would just get you a tighter framing of this so um it's a good galaxy to try out uh, it's a fun one to do uh there's the full frame image right there for you guys to actually see but um yeah that is pretty much it for the month of october there's a ton of stuff up there so hopefully you guys can go out and check it out um there's so many things that we didn't get a chance to cover we could spend a whole hour or more on objects that are up this time of year uh we still have a lot of the highlight summer targets up cygnus is still up um you know all those uh really high rising targets up in cygnus are easy to go view and observe that's still going to be around for another month so we're kind of in a cool season right now where you can get really cool summer stuff and get the autumn and uh winter stuff as the sky moves into the later uh bits of the night so definitely go out again if you like what you see here at the what's up webcast we really appreciate you hanging out on friday mornings with us uh go ahead and subscribe to the channel it does help us out and keeps this thing going uh leave a like on whatever videos you like and uh, if you have any questions email us at info at skywatcherusa.com we are always looking for ideas for new episodes so please give us a shout out if you've got anything there um yeah so uh next week we are doing another equipment talk on our heritage uh dobsonians there are collapsible tabletop dobs the 130 and now we have a 150 uh that just started shipping over the last couple months um so we're going to be talking about that these are kind of our intro beginner telescopes uh they are not toys these are full-fledged newtonian parabolic mirrors five and six inch apertures uh, so we're going to talk specs on those going to tell you a little bit about the 150 uh, being that's brand new but yeah we will be talking about that next week so thanks very much and again thanks for hanging out with us today uh, this is the what's up webcast every friday 10 a.m pacific right here at the skywatcher usa youtube channel thanks very much everyone and we will see you guys next friday clear skies and have a safe weekend take care